Welcome back. It is the Bill Michaels Show. I am Ben Kenny. He is Grand Bill's in for Bill the rest of this week. Bill on vacation back on Monday. We'll get back to the Brewers coming up here in a little bit. Talk some Packers. Uh, chime in with that. We have some some tweets to get to of who the Brewers should go out and pursue, how they should go about bolstering their roster. But joining us now on the hotline, Asher, I don't know the, the best intro. Uh, former Badger guy, I think definitely applies here. NBA nut job is the other word I used. Are, are there any other qualifications I should throw in here? Uh, NBA nut job should do for the event we're talking about. Yes. So Asher is in Vegas right now for the summer league. Most important thing to get out of the way. Have you gone out to the casino and or any, uh, let's say adult entertainment venues while being there, or are you only there to watch the basketball? Well, I'm not going to name names as I say this, but the best part about summer league or one of the best parts about summer league is that when you do decide to participate in any adult entertainment in Vegas or go to the casino or go to dinner, you're bound to see about 20 past slash present slash future NBA players playing craps uh, at the roulette table, uh, you know, playing blackjack. So NBA Summer League carries over to the tables as well, man. And, yes, I have uh, I've dabbled. Ah, so that's more than last year, I guess. Uh, do you have any names you want to drop and, and break news on this program, or are we going to go with the uh... – Absolutely not. Absolutely <laughs> not. But – but let, just, let me just say they're out there. They're out there. I got you. Uh, so, so you were there. You told me the first half of, of the Bucks game did not catch the craziness at the end with the officials giving the Celtics two points during a timeout. And then the dunk by Mamu Kalashvili, Matt Ryan comes over and hits the three at the end. But first watching live, what are your takeaways from March on Bochamp from the other young guys that the Bucks have out there? Yeah, I've, I've liked what I've seen overall from Marjan. I think that uh, the development curve is pretty clear. Like, if we get him to a place where at all three levels he feels comfortable scoring, if the jumper is going from the median and if the jumper is going from three, I think the offense makes sense. I think, like, the physical makeup, as big as he is, and he looks big in person, um, yeah, he looks all of what he's listed. Uh, I think that the, the defensive tools can be there. Um, he's a plus wingspan guy. Uh, he can guard, you know, probably one through three pretty comfortably in the NBA. He'll, he'll get kind of torched by the quick guards on switches, I think, a little bit. But um, I, I've overall felt pretty comfortable about him. Mamba looks really good, man. He's an amazing passer. He's like two for two really cool left-hand, one-hand skip, just whip passes to the corner every game. Um, and he's actually scoring at the rim pretty decently. That was kind of my worry with him. Uh, he's not an overwhelming athlete. He's not overwhelmingly big. Can he, you know, and he's such a good touch guy. But that sometimes doesn't matter when you're going up against NBA guys. And this is, I will say, the kind of setting where that kind of thing is hard to judge because he's going up against, you know, 6'9", not as athletic bigs versus once he gets to the NBA level, different story there. So that can kind of be a grain of salt thing, but he is finishing pretty well at the rim. His passing was really cool. Luka Wildoza kind of dribbled himself into trouble all the first game I watched. It was – Sort of just the bulldozer show. As, as they say in Summer League, and he was trying to get his game off. And uh, it didn't work out so well. But in game two, I thought he was a little bit more composed. He still loves uh, a classic European uh, behind-the-back flip pass for no reason once in a while. Uh, he, he definitely got some flash there, some international flash. But um, I thought he looked a little more comfortable in game two because he, he's the point guard. He's running the show right now for that Bucks Summer League team. A.J. Green was wetting 
in the first game. One of my favorite shooters in this class out of Northern Iowa. He was taken over, played 12 points in like two minutes. So it's been, it's been a fun little ride for the Bucks. I really like watching Mamu last night. I was watching for Bochamp, but I was blown away by Mamu. One of the things that I was a little worried about this offseason was the Bucks not necessarily getting a backup center behind Brook and Giannis. I know they brought Serge Ibaka back, but I don't really know what you can do with him. Is Mamu a guy who could eat some regular season minutes to keep some of the load off of Brook and Giannis, even if it's just in small stretches here and there? Could he maybe be good enough to do that this year? I think so. Uh, I think the offense is good enough to where uh, the defensive questions when you just throw him in spread picking rolls against, you know, really dangerous bigs, uh, I think the offense is good enough to kind of just quiet some of those questions because, like I said, the passing is what really impresses me, the connective passing and, uh, you know, the, the reads, but also the just ability to throw and even try some of the passes he tries. Um, so I think that he's definitely good enough offensively to uh, bring – Maybe, you know, eight to ten minutes a game here or there. Not your solution long term, I don't think. But I, I think he's been a lot more impressive because I watched him last summer league. I think I see clear differences in the game just kind of slowing down for him in year two versus year one. Were you uh, in attendance personally when Richard Jefferson was refereeing a quarter? Oh, I was. Oh, I was. Was it as absolutely stupid was. as it sounded as an outsider? Oh, boo, Ben. It was Come on. absolutely awesome. It was awesome. It was absurd. Uh, we were heckling. The only thing we wanted to do during that second quarter, Colby Ross, Pepperdine guy was playing, so I was focused on that too. But the only thing any of my friends or people around me wanted to do was tell Richard he's blind, ask him <laughs> to get glasses, just absolutely destroy him for anything he did. And also the first call of the game he made, one of, like, by the way, three calls he made all game in the second quarter. He basically had nothing to do, which was kind of sad. Oh, we were also clapping big time for his passes for the free throw. We would just explode. They have to be good the, ones. Uh, the, the art of the bounce pass, Richard Jefferson. Uh, you know, he, he's been known to, to be a passer in his day, so he, he was making some really good free throw passes, but he messed up his first call. He literally pointed the wrong way oh. on an out of bounds call. So that was fun. Did he do any he Joey Crawford, some, like block calls up and down the court? He, he was just getting some cardio in then. Uh. Uh, he, he was getting some cardio in. He's a whistle. Whistles for 48 were pretty low. He, he was not blowing that thing at all. He was just running up and down, a couple free throw passes, a um, couple smiles, and then he had to go to the review table, and we really wanted, it was the end of the quarter, literally the end of the quarter, like time expired. They were reviewing to see if a foul had occurred before or after the end of the quarter, and we really wanted that Richard Jefferson FaceTime. You know, the NBA guys, the NBA officials have fallen in love with their FaceTime recently. You, you know they, how they get that on the broadcast now where they can look in, talk to the mic kind of NFL style. Oh, they, they really love wanted it. Richard to do that, but but he clearly was not ready for that moment, and I understand. It wasn't. It okay, wasn't so Asher, the, the lead official. Oh, I didn't mean to cut you off. Uh, I was upset last night because I was really excited to watch Palo versus Chet, and the Magic announced they're shutting him down. He's not going to play. Uh, two things. Number one, I think the Magic front office took some sick, twisted sense of satisfaction knowing that they robbed us of Chet Palo. I, I have no. No way proving that. I just, in my mind, that's how it works. And I think they, like, kind of thought it was funny that they took that away from us. And also, I, I understand that he has nothing to prove. I understand that there's no reason to run him out there. But do we not have fun anymore? Like, well, that's fun. That's cool. Oh. Could he not play one more game against Chet? I was pissed when I read he wasn't going to play. First of all, 
of all, I actually don't understand the logic. We just saw enough from the guy. Let's shut him down. Like, yeah. what, what do you have to lose? Like, he's not, I mean, okay, injury is fine, but just get him game reps. Like, what, what's the harm? I don't really see the harm at all. He, just play him, like, 20 minutes. What did he show you that you didn't already know about him? I mean, you just scouted him for more than a year, but had him in a pre-draft workout and, you know, interviewed him and did all this stuff, and he just showed you something you didn't already know about him? You took him number one overall? Like, we knew that was Paolo. We knew he's like almost a legit seven footer. He's literally that big in person. He is massive. Um, yeah. He's bigger than Jabari, like in person. He, his shoulders are bigger than Jabari. His, he literally looks taller than Jabari. He's crazy to watch in person just based on size alone. Versus like seeing him on TV, that didn't really translate to me versus seeing him in person. Um, but yeah, what, what did you like suddenly learn about him magically? You took him number one, just play him. But I will say, it did end up creating my favorite game of the entire week so far because you had. Not one, but two guys that can't really get off the ground and rely on 1970s running hook shots playing together on the Magic and almost leading a comeback in St. Mary's legend Tommy Cousy, 60-year St. Mary's walk-on, and Xavier Simpson, former Michigan Wolverine, who Badger fans will probably remember, who has now developed, uh, not, not now, he actually had it at Michigan, but that classic running hook shot. So you had two six-foot guards that can't really get off the floor, each taking turns, going at a Chet front line, while trying to shoot running hook shots. It was a scene. It's been fun to watch players go at Chet and try him. It's worked better for some than others. Uh, one last thing on the Palo thing. I, I don't know. I just, I felt like I was being lectured on social media and Twitter by NBA writers. It's like, well, summer league games are meaningless. Save him for real basketball. Okay, I get that in the NFL. Preseason games don't matter, but there's only 18 weeks, 17 games, high urgency. It's not like we get to opening night and all 82 magic games mean the world. Like, there's plenty of meaningless basketball. I, I know this is an old man take, but I just thought it sucked so much that they didn't let him play last night. No, That's I it. agree. I totally agree. Like, what, what are, and their excuse is, like, we saw what we needed to see. I, I don't understand that logic at all, like I was saying. Just get him game reps in a setting where he can literally do whatever the heck he wants. Like, be like, hey, Paolo, go out there and only shoot off the dribble mid-range jumpers. Like, at yeah. least get him, get him to do something interesting, and it doesn't matter. The wins and losses don't matter, but the experience absolutely matters. And so, yeah, just send him, send him out there. Why not? Two questions, Asher and Asher Lowe joining us, uh, NBA nut job. He's at the summer league, spending time uh, watching all the guys there, mostly the Pepperdine guys, but he has found a way to be there for pretty much everybody, which is why his insight is so valuable. Two questions, one of them much longer than the other. Number one, can we find a way to blame coach K for this Palo situation? And two, what have you seen from Johnny Davis? Uh, well, coach K is always at fault. It doesn't really matter what's going on in the basketball world, but you can always find a way to rope coach K in there. Well said. And as far as Johnny, uh, the, mm, well, game one, game one was difficult, Ben. I'm not going to lie. Game one was real difficult. The lack of separation that he was creating against summer league defenders. And granted, I will say those weren't, he was playing the Pistons, but he was playing basically five NBA players, which is pretty rare in summer league. He was also playing an NBA front line, their literal starting front line, Isaiah Stewart and Jalen Duran. So he was playing against good, for summer league, about as good as you can get in terms of defense, especially at the second level. But, man, he just wasn't creating any space at all. Like, every, every look was a tough contested mid-range jumper, which if we go back to Wisconsin, 
That's kind of how we live a lot of the time. You just happen to make them a lot of the time. Uh, so th- those were the issues for me. Just the lack of creating space on the ball is really kind of alarming, I'll be honest. But I will say this. The defense is immediately translating and translating, I think, maybe even better than I thought it would through two games. He also settled in in game two a little bit. Uh, had a couple nice stretches where, you know, hit an open three, had a really nice pass out of the pick and roll as the ball handler, but he just, like, evaporates through screens. Like, it's like a screen means nothing to him as he's chasing somebody. He's going to be one of those elite, like, chasing the shooter, like a J.J. Redick guy. Like, imagine him and Johnny just, like, chasing him around and making his life hell uh, and just, like, ducking through screens. He's going to be good at that on day one. So I think, I think we already see the signs of him being – uh, an above-average NBA defender, literally in game one of this season. Um, the lack of creating space was a little bit alarming to me. But long way to go. And, hey, this is the best part about Summer League, guys. If your agenda fits it, you can just ride it to the moon. If your agenda yep. is not working at Summer League, you can just be like, hey, guys, it's Summer League. Who cares? That's kind of how okay. I view Who cares, man? everything. You know, I'm not surprised as, as your podcast shows for a long time. That does not surprise me at all. <laughs> I got you. Uh, so how, I guess, how real do you think it is legitimately? Like, obviously he's not out there with Bradley Beal. So there probably is a little bit more uh, emphasis put on stopping him maybe from the offensive side. How real do you think it is that he's struggling to find space? I think it's, it's a mixed bag. I think it's real in the sense that, you can't ask, I don't think he'll ever, in an NBA setting, be the guy offensively, but that's not why you drafted him necessarily, especially alongside a guy, like you said, in Bradley Beal. I don't think he'll ever be the guy that is, you know, giving the ball get out of the way at the NBA level, and there are very few of those. So that's fine. He doesn't need to do that to be a productive, good NBA player. Uh, I think, yeah, once you get NBA spacing, because some of the spacing is not NBA spacing. It's also not Wisconsin spacing, and Johnny's had some interesting quotes in the offseason that I won't bring up about Wisconsin basketball spacing his teammates, but you can go <laughs> find those on your own. He said they're not uh, NBA players. He's not lying. He did, he, did, he did. All right, you brought it up, so there you go. Uh, he did say that. And uh, he, he had some funny quotes, man, if you look through the last two years. He had some underratedly hilarious <laughs> savage quotes. Uh, he's awesome. Anyway, um, I also was sitting next to uh, uh, Mark Davis, his dad, and that was during game two, and I was sitting about maybe, I don't know, like 20 feet from him, and, man, the reaction. He was intense. He was just locked in. Uh, I heard some, some wild grunts, some, uh, some knee slaps. I mean, he was, he was absolutely locked in from the tip of that summer league game, too. Uh, so I think that offensively, though, once you get Beal around him, right, once you get a bunch of NBA shooters around him, I think he's the kind of guy where somebody creates an advantage and gets into the paint, right, takes it to him, and he can attack that closeout really well. Hopefully, hopefully, get enough threes to where he's actually respected as a shooter and people close out hard to him. I think that's really the big swing thing is like, is he hitting enough of those threes to then get a closeout so he can attack it? Because he's really good at attacking when you're chasing out to him. He's really good at it. So th- that's the questions for me. And overall, I'd say it was like neutral for me on Johnny. It wasn't, wasn't a disaster, it, I wasn't blown away. And hey, Summer League, who cares, right? Summer League will be good practice for Johnny. Um, Bradley Beal's hurt most of the time anyways, and he's probably going to request a trade next year. So probably better get used to be playing without Bradley Beal. Yeah, he'll, he'll be playing against somebody. I guess the point is he'll be playing sorry, alongside somebody that is a better offensive option than him. 
at almost all this times in the NBA, which will only help him offensively. Uh, last thing before we let you go, I want to spin it back to the current Wisconsin Badgers or the team we'll see coming up here in uh, November yeah. when that season gets underway. Where are you at right now? Why, like, why, why didn't the team go bolster itself in the transfer portal? I, for me right now, it feels like a group, and we said this going into last year, but it feels more so now, feels like a group that I, I'd be happy if they go above 500 and finish like 10th in the Big Ten. I had my hedge last year, Ben. I think all, all the things I wrote about them going into last year were there's all this stuff that's bad, but there's also Johnny, and he's going to take a leap, and we'll see. Um, and then he took a bigger leap than I was thinking of, and I think a bigger leap than most people were thinking of. This year, man, <laughs> I have very, very low hopes. I don't really see it offensively, to be honest, at all. This team's going to have to absolutely – in a I know it's Wisconsin, but, like, Wisconsin on steroids grind out some of these wins. They're going to have to be one of the best defensive teams in the conference to have a chance to make in the NCAA tournament, which I don't think is a totally far-fetched idea. Chucky's a great point of attack defender. Tyler Wall does many awesome things on that end. They lose. I, I think losing Chris Vote is actually pretty important. He, he provided something last year that they didn't fill this year in the transfer portal. They got a couple guys that maybe can create buckets uh, in, in Kamari McGee and Max Klesman. So offensively, they brought in a little bit, but they lost a generational Wisconsin basketball player. And even with him last year, uh, and I know the, the ankle injury at the end of the year, and he was not 100% at all. Obviously, Chucky goes down to that Iowa State game. You know, they, they weren't going to make a Final Four run, uh, but, but they still had a really, really good year, overachieved for sure. This year, man, on paper offensively, it is going to be really, really tough. Uh, I have liked, uh, I don't want to get into the workout video hype too much, but uh -oh. workout videos have looked pretty fun. <laughs> I'll be honest. Uh, I, I do remember myself really hyping up Aleem Ford's workout videos from like three years ago. So I don't know if we want to totally go into the open run thing in the offseason, but hey, Chucky's working on some fun stuff. Uh, so yeah, I'm excited to watch him play. Excited to watch some of the new guys play offensively, but I don't know where this team goes for buckets. I just, I just don't, and I think it could be, like you said, tenth, eleventh type five in the Big Ten this year. Yeah, I'm with you. I agree. Unfortunately, hate to end on that, but uh, Asher, pre appreciate the time as always. We'll check in again as Wisconsin basketball season nears. Yeah, let's talk Wisconsin basketball again soon. Sweet. There he is. Asher Lowe. Uh, he is the uh, site editor, publisher of Badgers Wire, covering Wisconsin Badger sports. Uh, as I said, NBA nut. Uh, so he is out there at Summer League, taking in the action, having fun out there. Not a lot of confidence about Wisconsin basketball, but luckily it's July. I don't have to really let that uh, have much headspace, you know, in my brain at the moment. Wisconsin football has ample time to disappoint me before basketball season even starts. So we'll get to that when we do. Uh, it's Ben Kenny Grant Bills in for Bill Michaels. We're going to step away here. Take a quick break. We'll take your calls coming up next. Still talking Brewers. What should they do? How can they get better? Heading into the all-star break and afterwards. I'm going to touch on some Packers coming up here. We'll preview the week that will be for the Brewers coming up. Uh, it's the Bill Michaels show. We'll be back after this. This is the Bill Michael Show on the Wisconsin Sports Zone Radio Network.
Welcome back in. Couple more segments until we're out of here. Ben Kenny Grant Bills. We will be back with you uh, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. Bill Michaels back on Monday. He is on vacation this week. Uh, no NFL talk really yet today, Grant. So I figured I can brand this segment as NFL talk. There's some chatter uh, crossing the ether at this moment. Adam Schefter recently has tweeted out that there will be an open competition in Carolina between Baker Mayfield and Sam Darnold for their starting quarterback jobs. Field Yates went on to tweet, there will be three uh, quarterback competitions this summer heading into camp and into the season. Number one, the Pittsburgh Steelers, Mitch Trubisky versus Kenny Pickett. The Panthers, Baker Mayfield versus Sam Darnold, as I noted. And the Seahawks, Geno Smith versus Drew Locke, who Locke, Locke had been taking a couple L's as time has gone on from the U.S. Open Twitter account. Um, 870, oh, someone was calling in. Hung up, call back, 877-867-1670. If I had to handicap these battles at this moment and pick who would win, I think Baker, if he's healthy, is definitely a better quarterback than Sam Darnold. Yes. I think uh, I would still take Trubisky over Pickett, given what their team needs. Maybe Pickett is good enough as time goes on. And then Geno Smith versus Drew Locke is just a battle of who can be less bad. But then they might trade for Jimmy G there and set up a situation where he goes in and starts. So it'll be interesting. 877-867-1670 to the phones. Line one, you're on the Bill Michaels Show. Who do we got? You have Bruce. How are you guys doing this afternoon? What's up, Bruce? What's on your mind? You guys have man, I like your show. You guys are uh, good at it today. Thank I you. got a question about um, Marjan. Yeah. Um, do you think uh, he's going to be good enough to uh, help Giannis? To help Giannis in what way? Like to play? Um, yeah, to take some of the load off of Giannis a little bit. In terms of taking the load off, at least to me, I mean, you need Chris Middleton healthy. You need Drew Holiday to be playing well. Wesley Matthews gave you some good stuff. I feel like where he fits in this roster is off the bench, at least to start. So can he contribute a little bit? Yeah, we all hope so. That's I, If you can get a first-round pick that towards the back end of the first round contributes at all, you're happy about it. So yeah. a bench contributor is where I'm at at this point. I don't necessarily know taking the load off of Giannis. That's more to the big dogs on the team. Your Middleton and Holiday. And then I have one last question. I watched the game yesterday. It seems like the refs are calling everything, and they just won't let them play. It's like every other play is like a foul, a whistle here and there. What's up with that? The last minute was terrible. Like everything was an offensive. Appreciate it, Bruce. Uh, could Marjan Bochamp beat out Baker Mayfield in a quarterback competition? An open quarterback competition. I think that's an unfair, of course. Unnecessary drive by in Baker Mayfield. I think you could say that about Geno Smith. You know, the, is, the quarterback competition thing is funny because was it last week or the week before Bill Simmons was trending because he said that the Jalen Brunson sweepstakes was the worst <laughs> sweepstakes of all time. Is <laughs> Baker Mayfield, Sam Darnold, the worst quarterback competition of all time? Like, I know we're supposed to be excited about that. I I can't be. Grant... I just read one that's worse. Geno Smith well, is competing with Drew Locke for a starting job. Yeah, but we don't care about that one. 
we kind of care about Baker and Sam Darnold, don't we? A little bit. Yeah, and they were both top five picks. Yeah, and the same draft. How nuts is that, too? They're top three picks. Yeah, and the Giants, I I cannot understand still <laughs> the pick of Saquon Barkley. And this is one of those things where time... Well, we got get Saquon to Carolina and pair him with McCaffrey. Oh, God, just get that entire draft there. Like, as time has gone on, I feel like we've gotten all smarter. Understand that taking a running back in the top five when you don't have a team already set is not a really great move. Like Saquon Barkley can go crazy as much as he wants. He's not going to win games. If Daniel Jones is a quarterback, not great or with that offensive line or with, I mean, they had Jason Garrett as freaking offensive coordinator. Talk about the funniest hire ever. It was, (laughs) it's like bringing Mike McCarthy and this might be unnecessary, but I'll say it bring Mike McCarthy to Dallas and expect their clock management to get better. See, that's an unnecessary drive by. Well, is it though? Is it probably, probably not. Uh, in terms of the quarterback stuff though, I would like to see Jimmy G go to Seattle. I, I he would win the job over those guys. Definitely. That team won't be that good, but he kind of feels like a lame duck. And just for the pure entertainment value, like I know what Jimmy G in San Francisco is, I want to see what Trey Lance could be. And this might be the weird Jordan love thought of I I'm a sicko and want to see what happens if he would start a whole season. But along a similar line, Trey Lance was drafted as a developmental guy with a lot of tools. I would want to throw him in an offense. That's clearly close to super bowl ready. See what he could do. Entertainment value. I think that's off the charts. Yes. Yes. And also, if he doesn't start this year, he won't be a full-time starter until at least his third year. And then you're already picking up the fifth-year option, and he's already starting to get a little bit more expensive, right? The idea of drafting a young quarterback, especially when your team is good, is because you want to utilize that rookie deal right away, right? And you're kind of missing out on that if you start Jimmy G this season. Yeah, I'm with you. All right, 877-867-1670. You want to chime in, do it. Talking Bucks. Brewers, I think we might uh, table the Packers stuff until tomorrow. I wanted to talk about the best offseason move they've made, but since it is a week that not much is going on aside from the Brewers, uh, we're going to talk coming up next about what their matchup in Minnesota looks like for tonight and tomorrow. But we'll table the Packers stuff for for tomorrow and maybe the day after. Some interesting discussion. Training camp is not really getting started yet, so we're moving slow here. It's the Bill Michael Show. Ben, Kenny, Grant Bills are in for Bill. Coming up next, we're talking about the Brewers tonight, what to expect. Jason Alexander's on the mound. I'll tell you how I feel about his start. Coming up next, Ben, Kenny, Grant Bills in for Bill Michaels. Covering Wisconsin sports like a blanket, this is the Bill Michaels Show on the Wisconsin Sports Zone Radio Network. Welcome back in Bill Michaels show Bill on vacation. Ben Kenny Grant Bill's hanging out with you coming up uh, until two o'clock. couple segments left still time for your calls. 877-867-1670. If you want to join the show. So coming up tonight, 640 PM central time brewers at twins brewers back in action for the first time since 
what I have tried to nicely describe is a horrid 10-game stretch going four and six against seven against Pittsburgh and three against Chicago. Four and six isn't horrid. Come on. Against those teams and the context of how it happened, like down the stretch of that weekend, Saturday, they easily should have won that game. Sunday was kind of a throwaway game, which whatever. It's still the Pirates. You should still beat them. The Cubs series, uh, you obviously had the Burns game where uh, Hater, I think it was, blew it in the ninth after someone else gave up a run in the eighth. So it's like, mm-hmm. yeah, I, I would call that for what this Brewers team is supposed to be. I view that 10 game stretch as quite bad. Not even just poor. We don't need to argue on semantics. It's it's not that important. I just, I, sorry, I'm being so, a pain but. Six game stretch coming up two in Minnesota four against the San Francisco Giants. Now, Minnesota has been good all season. They lead the AL central by four games, eight games over 500. They actually have pretty much the same record as the Brewers. If you throw one more loss in there, the Giants, on the other hand, three and seven in their last 10. They're now only one game over 500. They've been struggling a lot recently. Uh, They are 500 at home. Meanwhile, the Brewers 27 and 20 away from American family field, which is kind of interesting. Then you look at Minnesota, they're 25 and 18 at home. So really good home baseball team, five and five in their last 10. The matchup tonight is not a favorable one. I think it is clear. If if you look at the name going on the Brewers side, it is Jason Alexander, two and one, four, seven, five ERA, 17 strikeouts on the season. Josh Winder for the twins. He is four and two with a 3.12 ERA, 27 strikeouts nobody on either team has faced the pitcher before so don't there isn't any history to watch but I mean this is just one of those games where I would be uh, I would be enthused if Alexander goes four runs five, uh, five innings four innings gives up two runs and somehow holds the Buxton Correa core over there to not much production just gives the team a chance and then hopefully the Brewers get hot but I don't know if if you feel this way as well. Like whenever certain baseball teams go to play somewhere else, I never feel good about it when I'm watching. Like when the mm-hmm. Phillies go to Atlanta, I know they're going to lose. They're just going to find different ways to do it, even when they're winning. Just don't feel good. I kind of feel the same way visually when the Brewers go to Minnesota. Am I crazy? I feel the same way visually when they go to San Francisco. I guess I don't have an opinion on Target Field. I don't know. It's not something that I thought about. Visually? This is normally something that's right up my alley. So I need to, I don't know that I feel that way about Minnesota. No, I actually feel weirdly confident with Jason Alexander. I, I'm kind of a Jason Alexander apologist. Really? I'll wear that. I'll own that. Yeah. I feel pretty good. I can comfortably say he's better as a starter than he is as a reliever. <laughs> the numbers uh, would agree. Chichi Gonzalez, probably the same, especially when Craig council puts him out there in the ninth. Grant, the uh, the odds for tonight's game in Minnesota, the Brewers are plus 123. They're underdogs. Uh, the Twins mm. getting minus 143, over-under of 9.5. So that's high. This is, they expect runs to be scored. That would not surprise Especially me. Especially for a pitcher's park. Target Field is a big park. High walls in right field. I don't know. The Brewers, the way they're playing, we're going to set an over-under that high. I like the Brewers. I think they're going to win one or both of these games. I I don't have this weird 
bad feeling about target field. I do about San Francisco, but also I feel pretty good when the Brewers match up against other good teams. I know the Giants aren't playing well right now, but anytime they match up against the Dodgers, the Padres, the Giants, I weirdly get the sense that they'll rise to the occasion. I feel the same way about the Cubs or the Pirates. Like they'll play down to those teams. Mm. Um, I feel really good about them going into the Twin Cities. So in this six game stretch with, with the two in Minnesota, four in San Francisco, what is a success? I feel like to me, if they go three and three, I'm okay with it. You get it. You're playing on the road against two good teams. If they go four and two, I think that is undoubtedly a success. No matter the text of it, anything below 500, then you're just seeing the same trends continue. Yeah, I'd probably take a split. This team is historically really, really bad going into the all-star break every year. The last couple of years under council, it's happened. So if they could split these six games and go six and six, absolutely. Or three and three, the six games, anything better than 500 would be icing on the cake. I think you nailed that. All right. I, I, it'll be interesting because then we get into the all-star break. Then we get ever so closer to the trade deadline. And maybe, I don't know if there's something there here, but what if the team really needs to win more to convince the front office to do something? Is it that? Or would it be struggle a little bit to show the front office that there are flaws? I don't really know where I stand on that, but I feel like some of, something's there because everyone always makes the decisions off of what is recent. So if a team loses 10 of 14 going into the trade deadline, far more likely to sell. I feel like with this yeah. Brewers team, if Craig Council maybe milks the books a bit and puts some bad relievers out there in bad spots to show them that they need help, maybe puts a bad lineup or two out there, say, hey, I, I need help at first base, like you see, or I need help in center field. You see how Jonathan Davis is playing every day? I don't really know what's there, <laughs> whether whether better play convinces the front office that they are ever so close or if worse play convinces them that they need help. I also think Brewers fans have had the team tagged for over a month now. And I feel like David Stearns has to too. They could have a nice little winning streak here or a losing streak. And it's not really going to change how I feel about them. Right. I, I don't think many people are teetering on the Brewers trying to figure out if they should buy or sell. I think you've had your mind made up for a while. I think David Stearns would be wise to buy and add because the team is good they're not playing good yet but he'd be wise to add I don't think he's waiting to see how they do the two weeks going into the deadline I think he's had his mind made up for a while and now he's strategizing and and probably getting some some details lined up for how he wants to approach the deadline I I think he has all the data and all the information he needs yeah at least fan wise I mean there is the hater thing like that's been thrown out a lot recently of what if they just trade him away Devin Williams pitches the ninth Boxberger gets the eighth we have collective heart attacks every time now we reach a ninth inning because Devin Williams still walking a little bit of guys. Like people have thrown out a little bit of selling. I feel dirty talking about this. This isn't good. This is this is stuff that your franchise gets cursed for. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like they could trade Hater that what if they traded Hater to the Dodgers because they got an insane package? And then they meet up against the Dodgers in the NLDS. And Hater shuts them down in game five, right? And they win. I, for the next 25 years, you're not coming, you're not getting over that if you're the Brewers. You know what I mean? That's that's stuff that your franchise gets cursed for doing. That's why I don't like the Hater trade this season. The offseason is a little different, but selling before the deadline is is curse-worthy material. And I don't want that energy on my team. 
I mean, there was the Yankees acquiring Johnny Damon right after 2004 when the Sox came back from 3-0. Damon goes off. He's that people called him Jesus with the long hair at the top of the lineup. And the Yankees got him and then he sucked. So maybe that isn't the exact, you know, they go to another team and then just destroy you every time they go to the field. But okay. Can I, can I, can I ask you a question? Yeah. I'm going to, I'm going to pose this to you instead of saying it myself, because again, it feels dirty. What do you think is more likely the brewers make a world series, forget winning a world series. And they do so behind like five lights out performances from Josh Hader, where he just wipes the Braves hitters and then say the Dodgers hitters off the field, commanding playoff run from Josh Hader to the world series. Is that more likely, or is it more likely that we see what we saw last year where the Brewers offense isn't very good. The starting pitching is fine. And then Hader like blows a game or two against a Freddie Freeman type. Ooh. I know what I feel like is more likely, but I want you to say it. Well, given the fact that Freddie Freeman could be the opponent that's factored in, given the fact the other teams, I guess they line up to face right now. I don't know the exact bracket, but I would assume it's like one of the Phillies, a a wild card Mm. or someone else of that ilk, but good hitting teams. I think it's far more likely that the offense just dies and hater maybe gives up a run. I mean, we've seen him do it more recently, obviously, than he had for a while because he's given up what, like four or five runs since that Phillies game. So, yeah. Yeah. And then offense wise, I think it's far more likely that they do nothing than get hot enough and win a World Series. So I so I guess my point is we're holding on to Josh Hader because we think he's going to lead us and close games down in the playoffs. Whereas I, I feel like it's a lot more likely that he doesn't do that. But I can't bring myself to trade him because, again, that's just that's not something I want my franchise doing. That's what you get cursed for. And this team is cursed in too many ways already. Yeah, I'm with you. All right. Eight, seven, seven, eight, six, seven, 1670. Final segment. It's coming up next. It's the Bill Michaels show. Ben Kenny and Grant Bills in for Bill Michaels. Covering Wisconsin sports like a blanket. This is the Bill Michael Show on the Wisconsin Sports Zone Radio Network. All right, welcome back in. It is the final segment of the Bill Michael Show. We're back with you tomorrow at 10 o'clock recapping the Brewers game tonight. Hopefully it's a win talking Packers best offseason moves, some concerns about the team, things along those lines. Maybe a Rogers talk segment will be thrown in there. Grant, I forgot to do that today. I forgot to go read his recent tweets, but maybe we'll save that for tomorrow when, when more tweets are readily available. Should we throw a prompt out right now before the show is done, just to give people something to think about tonight so they can be ready tomorrow. What for the Brewers or for the Packers? For, I meant for Rogers. Oh, no, th- it really wasn't prompt driven. I was just going to literally okay. oh. verbatim read his recent tweets and fill my quota of having to talk about Aaron Rodgers. I get it. We wouldn't be the only show to do something like that. No, I so. feel like I'm contractually obligated. You know what I mean? Could we play it- an old press conference just <laughs> because. Oh, the archives are deep. Yeah. Yeah, we could do that. Uh, right. Some some like week three pre-COVID controversy, post-week one struggles. 
yeah. press conference. Pre-cancel culture coffin, Rogers. <laughs> Somewhere in there. Ugh. We're not talking about the tattoo, though. No tattoo talk. No. Proud of that. I think it's a fine tattoo. I'm not going to hate on it. Yeah. It's fine. It's a tattoo. I'm scared of needles. I can't really get myself to go and get one. You're not the only one. So oh. I don't really want one, frankly. But, yeah, so that's that. Uh, Brewers, again, 640 tonight. Jason Alexander on the hill for the crew. Tomorrow, it will be Aaron Ashby towing the rubber against Joe Ryan of the Twins. And then that will line up for likely Corbin Burns, Brandon Woodruff, Eric Lauer, and another starter. Don't know exactly who in the San Francisco series leading into the all-star break. Uh, The other stuff that has gone on today that we didn't really touch on, but has happened. The department of justice is investigating the PGA tour for anti-competitive actions, banning players who have played the live from playing their own events. PGA tour is not, uh, they have faced, excuse me, things like this in the past. I don't foresee it being that significant, but it'll all be settled in court as Many things usually are. Uh, there was we some. Need a, by the way, we need a resident lawyer on our network. One of us has to pass the bar so we can chime in on things like this and add analysis. Does Zach have free time to do that? Do you think? No, honestly, no. That man works hard. My cousin's a lawyer. She's getting married at the end of this month, so I'll ask her oh. at the wedding. Well, my first question to her was going to be: Remember when Rusty Harden, Deshaun Watson's attorney? went on Houston radio and said happy endings are legal. Yeah, which now looking back at it, knowing what we know now actually wasn't that unbelievable of a strategy. Yeah, so uh, I was going to ask her when that moment happened about whether they learned that on the first day of law school. I figured it was a, a joke that was a little bit out of touch unless you were <laughs> listening. A semester topic. <laughs> yeah, or unless you were listening to the context of why that conversation was happening and why Rusty Harden just completely embarrassed himself. So, uh, yeah, there's that. Um, And then Tiger Woods had a lot of strong things to say about Live Golf today. It's it's just Tiger being Tiger. But when he does speak, it is very important. One thing I did take a lot of joy in is the RNA, is the thing that sets up the Open, that runs it, kind of like how the USGA does the US Open. It's the European version of the USGA. Not only did they ban Greg Norman the head of the live. They did not allow any of the live players participating to have media availability, pretty much to keep it away from the story. They want the story to be about the open. And then they found a way to make every live player play while all of America is asleep. Pretty much (laughs) saying like, we are not going to let people watch you unless you play well, which they won't because on that tour, you don't have to play well to win. You just need to play. You just need to play. Pat Perez shot an 80 and made multi-million dollars. But how, how much money could you make if just every possible golf event you just bet against Phil Mickelson making the cut? Going forward, he's not going to play that many more events where you could bet. And uh, the live doesn't have a cut because it's a joke. Because it's a joke. That's fair. All right. That'll do it for us. Thanks for hanging around. Podcast up in about 30 minutes if you missed any of the show. Grant, Bills, and I are back tomorrow. It's the Bill Michaels Show. See ya. Have a good one. The Bill Michaels Show Podcast. Listen, rate, subscribe.